So we're in our series called Wisdom in Everyday Life, and today we're looking at wisdom and friendship. And as I've been trying to plummet into wisdom and friendship, my mind has been absolutely blown. And here is why. In friendship, well, the way it is talked about here, friendship is the least survivalistic love, and it is the most heavenly love and eternal love among humans. Let me show you what I mean. So why would I say that? Why is it the most survivalistic love? Well, romantic love, what does it do? Romantic love turns towards each other, and they reproduce and give life. Parental love looks to each other to guard life. I mean, the parent is guarding the life of the child. But in friendship love, you're not concerned about survival. And because of that, it's the easiest to drop and it's the easiest to neglect. It's the first one, if you're going to drop one of the loves, you're going to drop the friendship love. However, it's the most heavenly and eternal of the loves. Now, why do I say that? Well, at least my wife and I, when we are in heaven we will no longer be married. We will be friends, best friends, you could say, but friends. Parents and children, it will no longer be the relationship between a parent and a child, but it will be a friendship now. Why? Well, because God is the Father, God the Father, then we have Christ the Son, who is the groom and we are the bride of Christ so he's the king and he's the groom so what happens is these roles that we have here on the earth what is essentially happening is they are maturing or even evolving into their most purest love among humans friendship the truest form the most heavenly form so today what we're going to do is we're going to look I know it's blowing my mind too still so what we're going to do is we're going to look at what friendship really is, how to form true friendships, how to keep true friendships, the power of friendships, and then how this heavenly love between friends can dwell on the earth. So, first one. What we're going to do, when we think of true friendships, I'm going to differentiate between a business friendship and an actual true friendship. So when you think of business friendships, here's the Proverbs that are thrown to you. Proverbs 14.20 the poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Proverbs 19.4, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Proverbs 19.6 and 7, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. Now, how much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with his words. He wants friends, but he does not have them. Now, the sad reality of what this is saying is that the rich man has friends not because of anything else, but because he has money and is able to offer them, his friends, money. And so his friends say, oh, I can get something from you. So he has friends. The idea that's being shown here is this. I can get something from you you can get something from me. Good. This is, this is helpful. Let's be friends. And so what, I mean, that's a business exchange. That is saying, I can get something from you. You can get something from me. Okay, this is a good thing. Let's move forward with a friendship. 
Now, most of us don't pursue friendships that way, but it, that thinking, that thinking is sneaking its way in. And, and we don't even notice it. So recently, a friend of mine was in like an emergency situation. He was in a wedding and he needed to use my truck. And so I said, yeah, sure, take my truck, use it. And so he brings it back, full tank of gas, washed, which was awesome because I didn't want to have to wash it. And then he left $40 on the front seat. And I texted him, and jokingly, but also serious, like, hey, man, like, don't, don't do this in our friendship. Don't turn this into some business transaction between us. So what was, and the question is, what was he worried about? Like, did he feel like my, I might feel like, oh, he owes me something, and he doesn't want to feel like he owes me something, so he gives some money, puts it on the seat. Or did he feel like he had to pay me back, or maybe he thought a nice gesture deserves repayment. And essentially what I was asking him is saying, hey, let's take our friendship to a deeper level than this. And we are taught to keep record. We are taught, okay, you've done this for me. Okay, now we feel this pressure. Okay, well, now I have to do this for you to make it even. And we're constantly like, okay, let's keep each other in check. Let's make sure we're all even here. But love, in its truest form, does not keep score. I'm not saying we let people take advantage of us. But the biblical concept of love is this. God loved us, now we love him. We love him because he first loved us. He first pursued us. You know what that means? We have to model biblical friendship to get it. We have to pursue because love produces love. And that, there it is. Friendship is after love. Friendship is not waiting to receive love. Friendship is ready to give love the same way God has loved us and now we love others because he loved us first. And our culture is shallow and transactional. Our culture is waiting to see, can I get something from you? Can you get something from me? But that's not real friendship. So what is real friendship? Proverbs 18.24 a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Real friendship is built on friendship that sticks close no matter what. Now, look at what it said. A brother is born for adversity, meaning if you're going through something, your brother's going to be there for you, but your brother might not actually like you but your brother's going to be there for you. Now, that doesn't mean within your, because your family here, doesn't mean that you can't be friends with your family, but you get what this is saying. A brother's born for adversity, meaning your family's going to be there for you, but they might not like you, but a friend is always with you during adversity and when there's no adversity. They're there. Now, you can have that amongst family. Okay, so don't start freaking out over there, guys. Um, so, here's what's happening. Why is that? Real friendship is built on people sticking close no matter what because friendship is, look, 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 friendship is not focused on the friendship. Friendship is focused on a common vision, a common goal, a common purpose. So watch, lovers face towards each other. Parents and children look down and up at each other. 
But friends don't look at each other. They're looking forward at a common interest, at a common goal. So lovers like to talk about their love for each other. They like to talk about their relationship. That's why there's marriage counseling, because you need to talk it out. But as soon as friends go to friendship counseling, which I don't think there's a thing, but if there was, as soon as you walked into friendship counseling, your friendship is basically over, because now you're saying, let's focus on our friendship. But as soon as you focus on the friendship, the friendship is gone, because the friendship is built on a common interest, not on the friendship itself. Think of it like this. Think of heaven. In heaven... The pleasure comes as we behold the glory of God, the great visio Dei, the vision of God. We're beholding the glory of God. We're in awe of him. We're getting pleasure. And right at our side is our friends, focusing on the same exact thing. Now, a business friendship looks to the person and says, what can you give me? What can you offer me? They, might, they wouldn't say it out loud. We wouldn't say that out loud, but that's what we're doing. And if you think, I mean, you might notice yourself actually doing this. So, so what, what ends up happening in a business friendship is this. Someone has something in their vision, something they want, a goal or something. And they see someone here who can actually help them get that thing that they want. And so they look at their friend saying, oh, you can help me get what I want. They don't say that out loud. You wouldn't say that. But you think that in the back of your mind. And the other friend is looking over there at this is what I want. And this person can help me get that. And so there is a friendship that's formed. But the friendship is transactional. It's a business friendship. It's not a real friendship. Because friendship holds a common vision. Forward facing towards something. And you can, I mean, you can see this at a very practical level, how it ends up playing out. So let's say you have a friend, and then your friend starts entering into, like, a love relationship. And you start hanging out with your friend less. And then that friend goes and gets married, and now you're really hanging out with that friend less. And then that friend has twins, like babies. And... Um, and then you're never seeing your friend at all. You're like, okay, well, let me reach out to my friend. So you reach out, and you're like, hey, man, or if you're a girl, hey. And, well, that was my girl voice. It's true. Men have deeper voices. I was just doing it. Okay. So, so you reach out to your friend, and you say, hey, we need to hang out. So you call your friend, and you're like, hey, let's watch the game. The game's coming on. We're going to watch the game. And, and there's all this chaos in the background as you're talking on the phone, but you're like, no, I, I haven't seen him in a while, so I'm going to go hang out. So you get to the house, and you knock on the door, and it takes forever for them to answer, and it sounds like chaos inside, but eventually the door opens, and you go in, and uh, there's a diaper in someone's hand, and there's chaos going on, and the game is just about to get started, and your friend is like are you going to watch the game with me? But he's got stuff to do. He's got to take care of the baby. Or you're trying to have a conversation with, like, I'm not going to do a girl voice again, but you try, you try to do the conversation, and it's not working. So um, finally, halftime comes, or whatever, and uh, you say, okay, well, <laughs> I got to go. I got something to do, when you really don't. You get out and you call your friend who doesn't have kids, and you're like, hey, let's go watch the game. But you get out and you take this deep breath as if, like, I'm glad that's over. Meanwhile, somebody else is pulling up, and this is someone that you maybe haven't seen before, and they get out of the car and you notice they have a kid. And this is the first time that there's going to be a hangout between this parent and the other parent, and you're like, oh, you have a kid. It's chaos in there. You don't say it, but you're thinking it. And so they walk in, but here's what happens. 
This person walks in to hang out with their new friend, and they see the chaos happening everywhere, and the parents kind of smile at each other as if to say, ah, you too. I'm not alone in this. And there, there's a bond because there's a common vision of we're in this together. Now, that's why friendships drift apart. They're moving in different interests and phases in life. And that's why friends, typically they're in the same place. They have the same interests, same concerns. So if you're an athlete, you're friends with athletes. If you like to fish, you're friends with people who fish. If you're a mom, you're typically friends with other moms. If you surf, you have, if you have, play fantasy football, you can build friendship around that, novels, or whatever else it is. Fill in whatever. There's still a problem, though. This could all change. But look at what our verse says. A friend is closer even than a brother and always sticks. How is that? How is that there is a friendship that sticks closer than a family member? What kind of friendship is this that lasts through different phases in life? It's a friendship that has caught hold of something eternal, something unchanging, the visio day, the vision of God. The church is the strangest conglomeration of people. It really, it's just weird. Like, you look at churches and you're like, how did this group of people get together? What is happening? Young, old, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat, artist, accountant. I mean, one Sunday, here's what I saw in the parking lot. Someone had just finished gator hunting, and he still had the gator in the back of his truck. Meanwhile, there is vegetarians walking around. Now, I'm, you understand that there's like, this two people that normally wouldn't hang out per se. Maybe they would. But why is this happening? Because they're saying, what? Oh, I have been rescued by God. I'm sinful. You're sinful. You, both of us, yeah. We are, and, and look, we have a rescuer who's eternal, who's never changing, and all of a sudden, there is a bond that's formed between two people that you would never imagine hanging out together. This only happens in the church because we caught sight of something glorious enough to break through divisions like interests and goals. And along with this, why, while this vision of God causes you to be bound to one another, it also gives you this desire for people who have not seen what you have seen to see it. We, we naturally want to do that. If we see something beautiful, we say, look at this, look at this. So if you have a good understanding of friendships, you understand this. C.S. Lewis talks about it. Here's what he says. You have three friends, friend A, friend B, and friend C. And then friend C passes away. Friend C dies. And here's what happens to this friendship group. Friendship C could bring something out in friend B that friend A couldn't. And so friend A actually gets less of friend B, even maybe hanging out with friend B more now because friend C is gone, yet gets less of friend B because friend C could bring something out of friend B that friend A couldn't. Did you follow that? And the Bible refers to this actually as the body. It calls the church the body of Christ. 
And so you think about it, like, okay, we're supposed to be a body, so somebody's got to be the big toe. And nobody really wants to be the big toe until, you know, when you don't have a big toe, do you know what happens when you try to run? It's horrible. So all of a sudden, big toe joins the church. And it's like, oh, big toe is here. What is this going to do to us? And then all of a sudden, the church tries to start running. And the arms, friend A, looks at friend B, the legs, and says, wow, I didn't know you can run like that. And he's like, yeah, the big toe is here. This changes everything. So this is, this is what happens. Is with friendship, you understand that we are able to draw things out of each other that others can't. And so we want the friendship to grow. We want more to come in. And the Bible, so yeah. But, but also you realize something too. If we're going to really have friends the way the Bible's talking about, there's only so much of us to go around. There's only, St. Augustine talks about this. He says, I can, I, we're called to love our neighbor. We're called to love everyone. However, we can't love everyone equally the same because there's not enough of us to go around. But at the same time, you feel the tension of, you know that if we add another friend to this group, the group is going to be enhanced. So you kind of feel this tension. So now we've got to ask this question. How do we foster friendships like this? You've got to find the tension between commitment, tact, and candor, like their intention. So here's what I mean. Commitment. The first thing you have to do to foster friendships like this is you have to be committed to the person. Not committed like you're facing them, but you're committed to the vision, but you're committed to the person at the same time. And so here's what, here's what happens to us. We love the idea of friendship, but the idea of commitment scares us. And I hope you know this. About our area specifically, we are driven by comfort in our area. And we understand that friendships require sacrifice and they require cost. And so we say, ah, I'm not going to get too close because we know that it's going to cost us something. It's going to require sacrifice. And so here's what this means. I mean, if you're committed to a friendship, here's what it means. Your friend goes through something. You don't say, call me if you need anything. You call them and you say, what can I do? Or you just show up at their house. What are you here? I'm here to help. What do you need? That's the first one, commitment. Second is tact. So listen to this one. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. So it's saying you've got to be there for your friends, yet you have to understand. So, so first, if we're pursuing friendship and we have to love first in order to receive this kind of love back, we have to realize, okay, well, this is your neighbor. It's not your friend necessarily, but you might want them to be your friend. And so you are at their house, but there's going to come a time where probably they want you to leave, and so you've got to leave or they're going to hate you. Um, maybe it means that they just need to spend some time with their family because we have very important relationships with our spouse and our kids that take priority over friendship. Or this, Proverbs 25, 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. So a friend is emotionally aware of what their other friends are going through. 
So that means you see that your friend is struggling and you don't start singing songs of joy. And if you're singing a song of joy to a friend who is struggling, that means you're probably not really their friend because you don't know what's going on in their life. You're not listening to them. You're not there for them. And so you notice things. You're emotionally aware of what's going on in their life. And as a friend, that means you enter into their struggle. You enter into their pain in such a way that their pain almost becomes a bit of your pain. Um, You don't sing songs of joy when they're feeling pain. You're there for them, to hear them. Or you've got another song to sing, a song of sorrow to sing for them. Um, Or if you don't sing, you just be quiet. Um, So that's the second. The third is candor. Listen, Proverbs 27.6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Or Proverbs 27.9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. So during this time, when Proverbs was written, there wasn't sugar lying around everywhere. If you wanted something to be sweet, you had to go and find this sweet food. You, you just couldn't throw sugar on stuff and make it taste sweet. So it had to be discovered. You had to go and pursue it. So the same way with friendships, it takes time to build these friendships. And once the sweetness of the friendship has been established... It gets even sweeter when the friend can offer counsel to you. Now, they can speak candidly. They can be honest with you. And they do, don't do it for any other reason than because they love you. And I hope now you're starting to see how hard friendship is. Because if you're going to talk to somebody about something and be candid with them, it's going to cost you something. It's uncomfortable. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really hard, but you've got to be committed enough to have that conversation. Or else the resentment builds up, and it just goes back and forth, and then it's just over. And what you do, if you're going to have a conversation with someone, that means you've got to go and measure your heart, too. And you've got to say, okay, what's going on inside of me so that I can make sure I'm not going to go and talk to this friend when actually it's actually my problem and not theirs? You can't, and if you're going to pursue friendships like this, again, you can't be friends with everyone the same way, but we have to pursue friendships like this because it's very biblical to do. It's good for us. And once you have these kind of friends, something hard to do is to keep them, equally as hard as establishing them. So here's three things, how to keep friends. First, don't gossip. Proverbs 16, 28. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Nothing will destroy a friendship faster than gossip. Gossip is confessing your friend's sins to someone else. But a true friend first assesses what's going on inside of them, and then decides if they still need to go and talk to their friend, and they go to their friend, but they don't go to somebody else to confess their friend's sin. So that's the first thing. Second is you have to forgive with all your might if you want to keep friendships. Because people are annoying, but even worse than that, they're sinful, and they're going to say stuff to you that's going to hurt your feelings. They're going to do things that they shouldn't do that are uncalled for. But if you want friends, you have to be able to forgive people, or eventually you 
If you can't, you won't have friends. Especially, look, if you want to have a lifelong friend, you got to be really good at forgiving. Otherwise, resentment builds up and it starts building on both sides. Here's the third. You got to kill your jealousy. Proverbs 27.4. Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? So jealousy will slowly eat away at your friendships. And what happens if you're a jealous person is you start by destroying your friend in your mind. And you keep it up long enough and it starts leaking out of your mind. It starts leaking out into the things that you're doing. And then eventually your friendship, not just your friendship is destroyed, but you have destroyed your friend. Now, if you learn the art making friends and keeping them, then you find the power in friendship. Proverbs 13.20 Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. 12.26 One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Friendships can do great harm or great good. They're powerful. And it just depends all on what is the common vision and the character of the people inside of your group of friends. Friendships make good men better and bad men worse. And by the way, people in authority hate friendships. Why would I say that? Well, because you can't control a group of friends. You can't really control them. Because what is at the core of friendship is a common vision. And the person in authority has the own, their own common vision, or their own vision. And if this friendship group does not have the same vision of the person in authority, then they cannot control that group at all. Because friends respond more to their friends than anything else. Your friends will shape you more than anything, anyone else. The, how you love and how you live. Basically what I'm saying is choosing the right friends is essential in life. But wisdom also teaches you something else. That once you have enough good friends, once you have friends who, have, who counsel you well, that you know like if you've got something, you can go to them. Once you have enough of that, you can start doing something so very rewarding. You can reach out to those who don't have friends like this. And maybe because they don't have friends like this, they're doing foolish things. And you reach out to them and you welcome them into the group. And then here's what happens. Enough wisdom is there to change the fool. Wisdom says that bad company will ruin you. But if you have enough good company, you'll be changed by that company that you are with. And let me tell you what. That's exactly what God does with us. You think of God. Three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Perfect friendship. By the way, this is the, the, the greatest proof of God being three in one. Love. Love requires another. If God is eternal, he has to be three in one or else he remains imperfect. Because if he's just one, he cannot offer love. And if you cannot offer love, but you are love, then you are not yet perfect. 
So God, three in one, offers love, Father, Son, Spirit amongst each other. And then guess what? In this perfect love that they have for each other, more friendship comes out. It overflows into creation, and here's what happens. We, in creation, walked with God in the garden as friends. We enjoyed it, we loved it, and then something happened. It's not that we were bad friends to God. It's that we did something far worse. We became enemies with God. We did it. We became enemies of this perfect overflow of friendship that's being offered to us. Now, in God's wisdom, he knew what we had become. Yet in his love, he came to pursue us still, to offer friendship to fools and rebels. And the only way this friendship could be restored is if he stoops to our level, yet remains the perfect friend, and then teaches us what true friendship is like, because here's what we've really been doing with God. Yeah, we pray, but we pray because we want something from God. Our our eyes have something in our vision, something we want, and it is not God. And we say, God, you would be a great tool to give me what we want. We try to act like a, we're in a business friendship with God. God, come on, please give me that thing. And he's like, you got me. Like, now give me that thing that I want. And so Jesus comes to teach us what true friendship is like. And he says this, no greater love is there than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends, and you are my friends. But it's not that he's teaching us how to love, though he does. The main thing that he's doing is he's establishing a new friendship. He's establishing our friendship to be restored with God. How? By going to the cross and dying as an enemy of God, so that now in our place, so that now we can be friends with God. So we can walk again with him in the garden so that we can commune with him, so we can have this great visio day of God, where God now is our friend, our father, our groom. And do you know what that leaves us with? That leaves us with laughter, sitting side by side, standing side by side, arm to arm with our friends, looking at the great, magnificent glory of God God, that we cannot take our eyes off of the pleasures that come from seeing our glorious God. And right beside us is our friends. Complete joy, complete laughter, complete everything we want. Friends. Let's pray. God, we ask now that you would teach us how to be friends to each other and that you would teach us how to be friends to those who don't have friends and that you would give us the courage to pursue friendship like this, that you would give us the courage to love first, to not wait, but to pursue. And God, this gives us a longing for friendship, but it also gives us conviction that we have not been the type of friends we should be. And so God, we ask that you would forgive us of that, but that that you would also teach us how to love like you have loved us. God, Don't leave us friendless. As much as we run from you, as much as we run from this idea, God, pursue us and give us what we need, which is friendship with you, and then establish these deep, meaningful friendships with those around us. God, just 
give us friends, good friends. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.